Good evening, Fellowship College. Who's got finals left? Oh, okay. I should ask, who's done? Totally done. Okay. What? Hey, that's awesome. That's pretty awesome. Glad you're sticking around. Hey, man, we're excited about tonight. This is our Christmas service. Um, we got stuff going on with drinks and Little Debbie's Christmas tree, snacks, pictures, all that good stuff. So it should be a fun evening, you guys. We're going to sing some Christmas songs, too. So let's stand together. Let's sing Go Tell It on the Mountain. Go tell it on the mountain. Over the hills and everywhere Go tell it on the mountain That Jesus Christ is born While shepherds kept their Enjoy to the world. Enjoy to 
you wouldn't mind, remain standing and greet the people around you. Say what's up. Say hey. It's about to be Christmas break, so give the person a high five. You don't know them. Introduce yourself. Welcome to Fellowship College, everybody. All right, grab a seat, grab a seat. Uh, just a couple of announcements before we continue. Uh, tonight's just a little different. Every, every uh, semester at this service, we kind of have a, a lot of Christmas singing and a short, kind of a shortened down teaching. And so tonight's going to be a uh, short talk and lots of singing. And then we'll have uh, out in the foyer for you after this, or if you already had one, uh, the Little Debbie Christmas trees. Yes. I love those things. And then also uh, at the big Christmas tree over here, if you would like you and uh, your couple of friends or the person you're dating, however you want to do it, we're going to have just a photo booth right in front of that Christmas tree. And so if you want to take a picture, we'll post them all uh, on our, uh, our Instagram later for you. So if you're like a couple weeks dating somebody, it's a great opportunity to take your relationship to the next level to get that picture taken out there. Um, the second thing, that's, that's tonight. We're going to hang out tonight after the service to just, uh, just spend time together since our last service in here uh, until January 23rd. And so this will be the last college service uh, for a little over a month. Um, the, the week y'all get back, and school starts, the Sunday that follows that, we'll be right back here. Uh, and so we hope you have a safe and a fun uh, Christmas if you're going home, uh, if you're gonna be around here. Uh, you can join us for services here on Sunday morning and Christmas Eve, uh, either at our Rogers campus or here. Um, glad to be back. I was gone last week, uh, so just glad to, to see y'all. I've missed you guys. Um, he, he, here's what we're gonna do tonight as we enter into just thinking about the Christmas story and celebrating the Christmas story. We kind of got our, we gotta put ourselves in the right frame of mind. We gotta put ourselves in the right mood to, to sing uh, these, these Christmas songs. Here's the mood we gotta kinda enter into, and then we're gonna sing one of the more famous ones, one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite Christmas songs, this song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, waiting and longing with expectation for God to do something. And to get our, our minds right, we have, to, we have to enter into the story as the story was experienced in real time. You see... When we go back just a, a, a little over a couple millennia ago, the, the people of Israel, they found themselves desperate, desperate, waiting for their God to do something. They, they, they found themselves under the, the hand of foreign oppressors. They found themselves not being free in their own land. They, found, they, they looked out into their world and saw it looked like the the good people were losing and the bad people were winning and there wasn't justice being done in their world. And it was dark and it was sad. And for generations, they'd been waiting. See, God had made all these promises to them, promises that went back centuries, promises to bless them and through them to bless all of the world. And yet it seemed like God, maybe he'd just forgotten his promise. And they're waiting and they're looking and they're longing. And that's the story that we're entering into when we think about the incarnation of the Messiah Jesus, him coming into this world. And so as we, as we turn to sing uh, these next words, I just want you to imagine those generations of waiting, those generations of hoping. See, the prophet Isaiah, hundreds of years before the Christmas night, hundreds of years earlier, had said, the virgin will be with child, and you shall call him Emmanuel. Literally means God with us. It's this expectation that one day Yahweh will come back, the creator covenant God of Israel, and when he does, he's going to free us from our enemies. He's going to bring forgiveness to the land. He's going to bring rejoicing to the land. And we're waiting, and we're hoping, and we're longing and so when we look back and we sing these words, we've got to enter into that story. So I'm going to pray, and I'm just going to invite you as we sing these words to enter into that story and then think of how momentous it would be to think that maybe this hope had finally sprung to life. Light had broken through the darkness in the form of this strange Christmas story, a baby in a manger. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing this familiar Christmas song, but I want us to enter into that story together. Let's pray. 
Well, uh, Father, the story of the Bible is a story with movement and drama. It's got enemies and it's got plots. And that story, as we enter into the Christmas part of that story, generations of waiting, generations of longing, generations of hoping, and yet nothing until this flicker of light in a small village outside of Jerusalem breaks through the darkness. Could it be that Emmanuel, God with us, has come like this? So help us even right now just to sing these words, to think about the call for celebration that it would be, the hope of the world. We love you, Father. Thank you for sending your Son. We pray this in your name. Amen. Would y'all stand with us? Let's sing.
great and merciful God. Praise to you, our Father, who sent his Son to be the perfecter of our faith. You know us at our worst, and yet you humbled yourself by becoming obedient to death so that we may find life in you and in you alone. You stepped down from a throne of glory to a cradle in the dirt, and on that glorious day, our path to peace was born. That's what we remember tonight. That's 
what we celebrate this evening is your birth, the coming of the Messiah, as we remember the waiting that occurred. God, what a glorious night when we could celebrate your birth and we finally have a Savior. So let us remember that this evening. Let us rejoice in that always. It's in your son's precious name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. All right. Uh, I'm going to need a little interaction from y'all here to start uh, tonight. Uh, first and foremost, if you wouldn't mind, turn to the person next to you and just, uh, we're going to talk to tonight a little bit. Uh, what, just answer this question. What is your favorite Christmas movie? Tell your neighbor next to you. Favorite Christmas movie? You had to pick one Christmas movie that you get to watch for the rest of your life, which would it be? I'm hearing several diehards here in the front row. Um, all right, we're going to do a little game, a little game show here where um, we're going to do it by show of hands or by noise because we're going to have a vote each time. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to see, we're going to compare movies against each other and see which one scores higher on Rotten Tomatoes, okay? So we're going to go Christmas movie versus Christmas movie and see which one scores higher. So the first one is this, Elf or Rudolph the Red-Nosed Raider? How many of you think that Elf will score higher on Rotten Tomatoes. Okay, make some noise for Elf here. All right. And uh, I guess the red, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? Y'all are really trying. There are like four of you. All right, let's see which one's higher. It's not even close. But Elf dominates Rudolph every single time. We have Elf in our car right now that we're playing. My kids are watching Elf on repeat over and over again. Uh, what about this one? Uh, a Christmas Story or The Christmas Chronicles starring great 90s star Kurt Russell. How many of you think A Christmas Story will have the higher score? And Kurt Russell? Nobody's a fan of that movie, uh, apparently. Let's see what they are. Now, I, I'll say this. I think that's high for A Christmas Story. How many of you are just tired of A Christmas Story by the time it's on every year? It's like, I'm kind of over that one. It's just kind of boring at this point in my life. All right, about this one? You go New Grinch? Or do you go Middle Grinch? We don't have the old Grinch, the old, old Grinch on here. All right, how many of you think that uh, the Jim Carrey Grinch will score higher? Raise your hand. Yeah. And now the new Grinch? Nobody likes the new Grinch. All right, this was interesting. This was interesting on Rotten Tomatoes because it was close. But the new Grinch scores higher than the Jim Carrey Grinch. And I don't understand how that's possible. All right, a couple more. Yeah, thank you. This one should be easy. How many of you go with Polar Express? No, are you serious? Polar Express sucks. All right, what about uh, the Santa Claus? Santa Claus. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's not even close. Polar Express is horrible. I hate the Polar Express. I will not let my kids watch the Polar Express. It's creepy. I think this is, all right, we got two more to go. This is a tough one. This is a tough one. How many of you go in with Home Alone? Yeah. Let me hear it for Christmas Vacation. Yeah. This was shocking to me. Both are way low. Can you believe how low both those movies score? They should both be higher than that. Here's the last one. Both of these, both of these movies score the highest of any Christmas movie. Okay, they both score the highest. Where are my diehard fans in the room? More girls than I thought there on that one. All right, what about It's a Wonderful Life? Yeah. It's a Wonderful Life is the most boring movie of all time. It literally begins with stars talking to each other, and it's like six minutes long. I'm like, how does anybody watch this? All right, here we go. The winner is a tie. But look at the Rotten Tomato score for Die Hard. 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's unbelievable. Um, that's just literally for fun. There's no purpose in doing that. I want you to turn to your neighbor now and answer this question. What's your favorite?
Christmas present you've ever gotten in your whole life. Favorite so far. If you just got engaged, like in the last couple of weeks, you better say that. Turn and say that. Yeah, go for it. Favorite Christmas present, think back. It's kind of hard to think back on some of these. All right, 20 more seconds. Share your favorite present. Let's move this along here. All right, that's good. That's good. Y'all do have finals this week, so let's hurry. Um, if, you think about, if you think about gift giving as an exercise, like giving Christmas gifts, it, it actually is a bit of an odd social construct, social interaction that we do. It can, be, it can be informative even about the nature of the relationship that you have uh, with a person you're giving the gift to. Like to, to illustrate it, like some of you, uh, I've been talking about dating for some reason a lot tonight. Some of you, 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 you may be in an early stages of a dating relationship in the room and now you're coming up against Christmas and you gotta figure out what do I give this other person at Christmas because what you give may, may be overly serious and sweet and you, maybe you're, now you're rushing it or maybe the other person thinks that it's pretty serious and then you give something silly and now, you, now it looks like you're in different pages in the relationship. What you give other people, the way that we give and exchange gifts oftentimes is indicative of the nature of our relations with those people. Like when you think about buying gifts for people uh, in your family, we don't buy gifts for strangers or acquaintances. Uh, I remember for me, um, this is really embarrassing. Um, the, the girl that I was dating in college uh, that most people thought and we thought that we were gonna end up getting married, uh, we were in a really serious relationship, and uh, our relationship, our senior year, was kind of beginning to fall apart, uh, and the relationship was kind of getting rocky, and uh, we kept disagreeing, and we kept having fights, and like our relationship just was beginning to unravel on us, and then Christmas hit. And I wasn't sure exactly what to do uh, at Christmas. And so uh, just thinking about the nature of how, what gifts mean to people, I'm sharing the story. So I'm pretty sure that she was expecting an engagement ring. I mean, we've been dating for a year and a half after all, but the relationship had kind of soured. And not wanting to do that, I, here's what I got her. I got her a gift card. Some of you are like... <laughs> Oh my gosh, I didn't know what to do. And so I got her a gift card and we, we broke up like 10 days later to nobody's surprise and it was over. But if you think about it, what we do when we give and exchange gifts can be really important and significant. It can actually be telling about the relationships that we have. And just reflecting on this, uh, a pastor I like to quote a lot, he's, his name's Tim Keller, he's up in New York. Uh, he, he says this about giving and receiving gifts. He says, Christmas is it, some of you really hate me now, all right? I'm really sorry, okay? I gave her the, the gift card, I'm sorry. Uh, he says this, Christmas is about receiving presents, but consider how challenging it is to receive certain kinds of gifts. Some gifts, by their very nature, make you swallow your pride. And here's what he means. He illustrates it like this. Now, I'll put it in first person for me. Um, here's how he illustrates it. Suppose that three of you uh, decided to get me a Christmas present. So three of you came up, and you got me a Christmas present. And I was like, oh, God, that's awesome, a Christmas present. That's really cool. And, and you hand me the Christmas present. And the first person in the room gave me one. And I open it up, and when I, when I look inside, what you got me was a year's membership to Weight Watchers. Okay? Now, that's, that's kind, but it kind of, it's indicative of something about me. Maybe it's the next person came up. And you handed me a gift, and I opened the gift, and it's a book. And it's a book that's something about, it's a, it's a self-help book on how to overcome selfishness and be a nicer person. I'm like, well, that's, that's interesting. And then the third person came up, and you got me a gift, and I opened the gift, and it's a gift card to, uh, to a clothing store with an article about how to dress more trendy and not look like a slob. Now, I would, I would receive those three gifts, and by, by the very nature of receiving those gifts, it says something about me. It says I'm fat, I'm obnoxious, and I dress poorly. Just by receiving those gifts, it's, it's knocking me down a little bit. It makes me swallow my pride. If those were the gifts that I would, please don't give me those gifts. Uh, that, would be, that would probably be insensitive and make me feel bad. But if you think about it, just by the very reception of some of the gifts that we give and receive, 
It's, it tells something. And what Keller is saying is, by receiving certain gifts, it can really hold a mirror up to your life, hold a mirror up to who you are. And when we, when we think about the nature of the incarnation of Jesus, when we think about what we're talking about at Christmas, the story of Jesus coming into the world, I wanna, I wanna highlight for you just really quickly, highlight for you the nature of his entry into this world. So if you have your Bibles, open it with me to Luke chapter one. We're, gonna, we're only gonna spend just like, like, it's like a 10-minute deal tonight. We're really moving fast. Uh, we wanna get to our little Debbie Christmas trees and uh, we wanna get you to be able to be studying. So uh, turn to Luke chapter one. I'm just gonna look at a couple of verses in Luke one and Luke two and point this out to you really quickly. Notice the nature of Jesus coming into the world. We're told in Luke chapter one, verse 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Let's, let's highlight some of these features. At Christmas, we're talking about the greatest gift that's ever come into the world, the, the, sec, the son of God coming into the world to rescue us from sin, but the nature of his coming is not like what we would expect. First of all, the, the announcement comes to a woman who's living in Nazareth. I mean, this is like Hickville of the, of the, old, uh, of the ancient world. Nobody good comes from Nazareth. In fact, one of Jesus' apostles later say, can anything good come from that town? It's a backwater little village. It's got no fanfare, no publicity. Everybody would just walk right by it and think nothing of it. And that's where the message arrives? It's in Galilee. Uh, Jews in Jesus' day, they looked at Galilee as a, as a region of their, of their country that had begun to compromise. It had been overly influenced by foreign, uh, by foreign influences. We've got a backwater little village that you'd walk right by in a compromised region. Notice verse 27, to a virgin, to a virgin. She's a, she's a teenage girl. And now because of, her pregnancy, she'll be scandalized for the rest of her life. Nazareth, little village, nowhere, nowhere town, in a compromised region to a scandalized teenage girl. This is the gift? This is the, this is the entrance of the king? This? And as we see Jesus come into the world, look at Luke chapter two, just turn one page over. It says, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. Now they're at Bethlehem, just a little, a little sleepy village outside of Jerusalem. And, and where is the baby placed? She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in ordinary, regular clothes and placed him in a manger. Not a palace, uh, not the Capitol building, not luxury, but a manger. Now, now, let me, just, let me just highlight for you really, a couple of historical things that we need to look at when we look at the Christmas story because we get so lulled to sleep in the Christmas story by our nativity sets and the same old stories we see every single year. Let's look historically real fast, okay? Because we're not talking about mythology here. This isn't a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. These are real historical events in real historical places. First and foremost, when does this occur? It's not year zero, okay? Uh, Jesus is probably born in 6 BC. And here's how we know that. Herod the Great, the one who uh, has the, the babies killed in Bethlehem, he dies in 4 BC. We can be pretty certain of his death. So Jesus certainly was born before 4 BC. Uh, the monk that calculated uh, the calendar, he got it off by a couple of years, but not bad. He only missed about like six years. That's not bad. Uh, and so this is probably 6 BC. Second is a little historical thing. Where it says there was no guest room. Here, I, I want you to delete this from your brain, okay? Bethlehem doesn't have any hotels, all right, he didn't go to the hotel, and there's the innkeeper, and there's a vacancy sign or a no vacancy sign. There aren't hotels. Uh, let me give you a, a snapshot of what this probably looks like. This is a first century Israelite house. Uh, the guest room would be probably this upstairs area, and the extra room would be maybe the storage area, if you can see that in the back left corner. So what's the, what's the barn or the stable where Jesus is born? Probably this courtyard where you see these animals are being kept. That's probably what we're talking about. There wasn't room in the rest of the house because people are in town for the census and the, the little small village is now filled up with people and there's not room to have a, all the things that go on at a birth. So they say, we'll, we'll put you out here. Now, now lastly, it says he's placed in a, in a manger. 
And here's the problem. When we think about the Christmas story, we've so romanticized uh, the Christmas story. We've romanticized this scene because we see it in paintings. We see it in nativity sets. We put it on our house or put it up in our, uh, our parents put them out in our dining room. They put them on a table and we get really lulled to sleep by it. Like we see the scene and it looks something like this, like a really cozy barn. And we, we get married in barns now, so that doesn't seem that bad. And then we got a little manger. It looks like a nice little crib and it's wood and it's nice. And look at that. And it's all glowing and everything's cool. By the way, the, the wise men probably weren't there. They probably, they probably came later. Uh, and then we get these weird pictures. We got a ripped angel in the front. I don't know what's going on there. I'm not sure what these babies are doing up top there. Everybody's wearing Roman robes. That's definitely not how you give birth. And so just an, we get these odd pictures of what the scene looked like. But let me show you what an actual manger in the first century is, uh, Palestinian world looks like. It looks something like, something like this. So when you think about a manger, this is literally where animals eat and drink. That's what we're talking about. It's nasty, it's grimy, it's dirty. And this is how the king of the world, the creator of the universe, the one who has come to rescue humanity, this is how he comes into the world. It's not what you're expecting. It's not what we would ever dream up. We would never write this story. Keller continues, and he says this. There's never been a gift offered that makes you swallow your pride to the depths that the gift of Jesus Christ requires us to do. Just hear hear his words. Christmas means that we are so lost, so unable to save ourselves, that nothing less than the entrance into the world and the death of the Son of God himself could save us. Just, Just pause time out for a moment. I'm going to ask you and ask myself, it's December 12th, we've got, what is that, 13 days till Christmas Day, and a lot's going to happen between now and then, and everybody's busy, and everybody's got places to go, and we have people to see, and I get it, I get it, but I'm going to ask you, just even tonight, to come face to face, to allow the, the message of Christmas, to allow the nature of Jesus coming into the world in dirt, in, in mess, in a backwater town to no fanfare, to allow that to hold a mirror up to you to show you the nature of your brokenness and mine and our world's. Have you ever considered that Jesus, he could have come into this world in Rome, Alexandria, Antioch, Constantinople. He could have come into this world in, to, to way more fanfare, He could have come into this world to luxury and comfort. But the Christmas story is the story of the Son of God coming into the world like this. And Keller says, nothing will make you swallow your pride more than this story. Hear it. That your brokenness and your selfishness and your uh, greed and your sexual brokenness and sexual sin and you're wanting to take your life into your own hands instead of following and and obeying the Lord, and you're thinking that you know and thinking that you know better instead of trusting in the Lord, and mine, by the way, that this world is messed up and broken. And by the way, not just you. The brokenness that we see in our world, the injustice that we see, the wounds that we see, all the backstabbing that we see, all the greed that we see, both in nations and in culture and in ourselves. The Christmas story just holds a mirror up to you and to me. Nothing, Keller says, will make you swallow your pride more than seeing the Son of God in a filthy, dirty manger. And I wanna ask you just to consider that this Christmas. I wanna ask you just to consider That in that state, our world being in that broken state, that God would still choose to send a son into it. Think about what that says about the nature and the character of the God that we serve. Think about the, the kind of love that that would require. And that's the story of Christmas. That's what we're celebrating at Christmas, that that God chose to enter into your brokenness, my brokenness, enter into the mess. In fact, Jesus will later say, he said, you know why I'm here? He said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save 
that which is lost. That's why I'm here. Just reflecting on all this, uh, quoting my two favorites tonight, C.S. Lewis says, in the Christian story, hear this, God comes down. He's not distant. He's not unconcerned. He's not up there in the clouds just with his, with his back to us. He doesn't see the mess and the brokenness of our world. He doesn't see the, the loneliness and the pain. He doesn't see the anxiety and the fear and go, well, to hell with them. They've made this mess. No. The Christian story, God comes down, down from the heights of absolute being into time and space, down into humanity, down to the very roots and seabed of the nature he has created. That's his love for you and his love for me. That's his desire to See, restore what's broken in your life and my life, what's broken in our world. See the last line. But he goes down to bring the world up with him, the whole ruined world up with him. He's entered into this world to get the mess of our brokenness on himself, so much so that he'll get the mess of a cross on himself. This is the story of Christmas. And in the consumerism and the glitz of the next few weeks, I'm just gonna beg you, and I'm begging myself here, to, to set this ever before us these next, this next week and a half, to remind ourselves what it is that we're, what story it is that we're telling. Our world desperately needs this story. Your friends desperately need this story. If you're here tonight and you're going, I don't know if I know that story, you desperately need this story. Humans would never write it. We'd never make the story up. The king coming in a dirty manger. So here's maybe my question as we now turn to, to sing some more. What does the response to this look like? I'm gonna let Mary, uh, the character of Mary, just highlight her for a moment. She receives this greeting from the angel Gabriel. The Lord is with you. And here's her response. It says she was greatly troubled. Literally, it means she's wrestling it out. She's through confusion and wrestling it out. She hears the message. And then it says, she was wondering what kind of greeting this might be. I think wondered is a weak translation. It literally means through, through reasoning, through logicking it out. This is how the Savior of the world's gonna come? And she's confused by that announcement. She's wrestling with this. She's reasoning this out. Can this really be? And then she asks a very, very, I think, obvious question. She says, how could this be? You know what they knew in the ancient world? They know that virgins don't get pregnant. And yet, she, she brings her question to the angel, how can this be? I'm a virgin. Now, we're gonna see another character in the story. His name's Zechariah. He has almost the exact same words a few, a few verses earlier. He's got his own questions. He receives a, an announcement from an angel about a supernatural birth. This time, it's an old woman, his wife, who's gonna conceive and bear a son. And Zechariah says almost the exact same words. How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Both are confused. Both have their doubts. Both don't understand. Both don't have it all figured out. Zechariah will be, he'll be admonished in the story. He will be condemned in the story. He will go mute for nine months. And Mary will receive commendation. She'll be highlighted in the story. What's the difference between the two? They both have their doubts. They both have their confusion. They both don't have it figured out. Look at Mary's last words. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. You know what this means for her? If you've never entered into to her reality here, think about it. To say, Lord, I, I'm your servant. May it be fulfilled to me as you say. Here's what she's signing up for. Almost certainly, Joseph will leave her. He's gonna assume you cheated on me. Uh, she's almost certain to never marry because she'll be seen as an unclean woman. She'll be seen as somebody who's a liar. She's a cheater, which means she's signing up for a life of almost certain poverty and pain. She will, everywhere she goes, she'll be looked at with scorn and disgrace. She's also, by the way, signing up her son to be looked at for the rest of his life as an illegitimate child of an extra, outside of marriage sexual relationship. And she knows what this means for her. She knows that to say, I am the Lord's servant, that she's signing up to, for scandal. She doesn't have it all figured out. 
She doesn't have all the answers. She's still got doubts. She's still got questions. And yet, look at her response. I am the Lord's servant. And here's what I just ask for you and for me. You might have some questions still about this Jesus thing. You might, have, you might not have it all figured out. By the way, I got questions about this Jesus thing. I don't have it all figured out. You may go, I, I've got a lot of doubt, a lot of confusion. So did Mary. So do I. But this Christmas, by prayer, and this night, as we now turn to sing, would be that just like Mary, we'd say, God, I'm your servant. I am your servant. Where you lead me, I will follow. You are my king. That's my prayer for you and for me. As some of you head back home to difficult situations, some of you head back home to temptation, uh, some of you head back home to friendships and relationships that some are gonna be really great and some are really trying. I am the Lord's servant. May that be this model that Mary puts out for us. May that be who, who we look to. May that be what we, what we look like these next few weeks. We follow our king no matter what he may ask. So I'm gonna pray and we're gonna sing some more. We're gonna celebrate some more. So let's join, would you join me in prayer? Let's pray. Father, what a story. We thank you that in the broken mess and the darkness that was this world, that are our lives, you didn't leave us in the mess, but you entered into the mess. You sent your son into this broken world to get the brokenness all on him in our place. And we pray that we would behold this king. We would understand the nature of his kingship today and this Christmas. We would cling to this story. It's the hope for the world. And we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.
without hope, without light, till from heaven you came running. There was mercy in your eyes. The law and prophets to a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dark. Praise the
Let's pray, Jesus, the only king that would come into the world this way. Of course, your name would, of course, be Yeshua, 
Yahweh rescues, Yahweh delivers. Because you came on a rescue mission to rescue the world from our, the mess that we've made from our own brokenness and to set us free. Freedom for the captives and recovery of sight for the blind. So you're the king that we worship because you're worthy of it. You alone are worthy of it. All the promises in the Old Testament, all the hopes of this world, they find their answer in you then and now. And so we, we say those words that we just sang with our lives. For you alone are worthy. We'll praise your name forever because you are our king. We love you, Jesus. Pray this in your name as our king. Amen. Uh, Fellowship College, uh, the photo booth right there at the tree is available. So if you want to go just take a picture with your friends before you head out to, uh, for break, uh, we're going to have the foyer available for study hall tomorrow and Tuesday from 9 o'clock to 4 o'clock. We'll put coffee out there for you guys. I might go get some donuts. So uh, tomorrow and Tuesday, 9 to 4, if you want to swing by up here. We love y'all. Have a great Christmas break. See you in a month.